You really have to learn your child and and learn yourself. You're becoming a new person as well. Not only do you have a new person in your life that you're responsible for, but you also have to take care of yourself who is a new person. everyone. Welcome to the Parenting Translator Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara Goodwin, and I'm so, so excited because today I am here with poet Kate Bear. Kate is a three times New York Times bestselling author who has written some incredible books of poetry, including What Kind of Woman, I Hope This Finds You Well, and a third book called And Yet. I am obsessed with her poetry. It really helps mothers specifically and parents more generally feel less alone in this very difficult job we have. So Kate, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. So your poetry is such a gift for mothers. And I think as, you know, often as mothers, we feel so isolated and like our problems are really only our problems, but your poetry makes us feel like we're not alone. And it also verbalizes a lot of the things that maybe we've been scared to say out loud because it's taboo or it seems like, you know, this isn't what a good mother would say. So could you tell us a little bit about your own personal motherhood journey and what led you to write this type of poetry? Sure. First of all, thank you. Such nice words. Yeah. So I became a mom almost 12 years ago. I'd been writing, you know, since I was in second grade. But as soon as I got pregnant, I started to write about that. I was, I've always been kind of writing from real life, even in fiction. And gosh, it's, it's like, I could, should I start from the beginning? <laughs> I was born in Wherever Tennessee. Wherever makes sense no, to you. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd always been a writer, but as soon as I became a mother, that started to slowly kind of creep into that. And I was writing personal essay about motherhood and had my own blog and was writing parenting pieces for Huffington Post. And then I took a break from that. I was really sick of being called a mommy writer. I felt like I was being put into this niche category and felt like for some reason that people felt like writing about motherhood was inherently unliterary, which is so silly. And I kind of had the, the worst response to that, which was to kind of internalize that misogyny and, and stop writing about it altogether because I, I thought, well, that must be the answer to kind of kicking this mommy writer title. So I did that for a while. I took a break for like four years. I worked on a novel instead and then started to cheat on that novel with with poetry. And so much of that was about motherhood. Yeah, because I, I am a mom and, and I write from real life and it really connected with people. And, you know, in the last few years, I've really had to kind of look at why I took that break from writing about motherhood and kind of face that and, and realize that that motherhood is such a universal experience for we all come from a mother for better or for worse and kind of looking at why I felt that way and why others feel that way and, and embracing it instead. That's amazing. I'm so glad you came back to writing about motherhood <laughs> and brought some we should be respecting voices that are speaking about motherhood. So it's amazing that you are bringing attention and awareness to what it's like being a mother. So one of my favorite poems of yours is Young Mother. It perfectly captures, you know, the isolation, confusion, and extreme vulnerability of this time. I feel like, I don't know, before you become a mother, you hear all this crazy conflicting information. Like some people are like, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) And then other people are like, it's going to be magical. And it's like, it's actually kind of both. (laughs) It's like, and I feel like your poem helps capture that. So what was early motherhood like for you? 
And what did you learn from those years that you now would like to express to other new mothers? I entered motherhood very similarly to how I enter everything, with, which is with no knowledge and a very steep learning curve. Yeah. I really like to learn things the hard way. So <laughs> I, I had to do that with mothering as well. You know, I, I had no sleep schedule. I had no, not that it, it doesn't matter, but there were so many things that I made harder for myself because I didn't do things that maybe I should have. You know, that's kind of the plight of the firstborn. I'm also a firstborn. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I was so tired. My, my oldest is, was a really difficult baby and is still a child that really brings me a lot of grief. But yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe it. He cried so much. Uh, he went to bed with us at like 11 p.m. I still think about that. How so uninformed I was and, and so, so much winging it. People are always like, they'll say to people that they meet, they'll say, oh, you such an old soul. You know, no one says that to me. I'm such a new soul. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I really have a hard time following directions. Sometimes people said, you know, you really should put him on a sleep schedule or do this and that. I had to learn it myself. So it, it was the best of times and the worst of times. I don't know if I would change anything. I don't really give advice to new parents <laughs> in general, because I think advice in parenting is such a tricky thing. Unless someone's explicitly asking for it, I really keep my mouth shut. I think you really have to learn your baby. I guess that would be my advice to parents is to not take advice <laughs> because yeah, what, what works for some doesn't work for others. And you really have to learn your child and, and learn yourself. You're becoming a new person as well. Not only do you have a new person in your life that you're responsible for, but you also have to take care of yourself who is a new person. You're like also birthing this mother figure and you're like trying to mother yourself and care for yourself and also be this new person. So there's just so much going on there that to give advice on one topic is feels so silly. You're still trying to figure out how to how to be alive and, and keep somebody else alive. Yes, that that is so true. You know, I had a PhD in child psychology before I had my first and did tons of research. And I was like, I'm going to be the best mother in the world. Like I know everything. <laughs> and I was just as lost with my first. I, I mean, she was going to bed with us at 11 too. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, <laughs> I've read about the schedule, but how do I actually do the schedule? And how do I, right. I you know, I've read about when they should sleep, but I'm like, how do you actually get a baby to fall asleep? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, you put yeah. them in the crib and they just freak out. <laughs> I think we all just feel so, so lost regardless of our preparation or anything. I read a New York Times article about you when I was preparing for this interview. And I read that you wrote these New York Times bestselling books outside of Panera Bread. And I just think that's hilarious because it's like just such, it seems like a metaphor for motherhood, actually, because like we're doing these like incredible things in like the most unglamorous of ways. <laughs> you know, I know for me, I started Parenting Translator like during a pandemic. I had no childcare. And my husband agreed that like I could go walk on the treadmill before he went, like started his work for the day. And that was like my one time. And so I'd be walking on the treadmill and like creating posts on Instagram as I walked. And like, you know, I'm sweaty. I'm like this. And then the rest of the day would just be a total like, mess for a lack of a better word, just because we I was just winging it in the middle of a pandemic. But I'm like, this is what motherhood is. We're doing the best we can in these like very unglamorous ways. And I'm just so curious, you know, 
being a mother, um, especially with all the childcare limitations we've all faced in the past few years, how do you find time to be creative and pursue your passions? And what advice do you have for other mothers that are looking to find their voice and pursue their passions, you know, whatever it may be while still juggling, you know, all the demands that we have as mothers? Yeah. I mean, I, I would not be able to write without childcare. When people ask if I write during nap time, I feel this kind of sickness come over me because that that one break that we have as childcare providers to be used for a career is so is so um, sad to me. Even though I, I did do that for a long time, I had to write during nap time until that became very unsustainable. I would not be able to have written three books without childcare. So I think that's where I always start with that question is childcare. There really isn't another way forward for me without it. People are like, writers love to talk about the best environments for writing and pointing your, there's like whole articles about like which way your desk should face or what kind of pen <laughs> you should use or a program you should use for writing. You should use Word, you know, Excel or Google Docs. And, you know, is it better in the morning or better than an evening? I can't even think about that without childcare. Th- those things are inconsequential to me. I wrote a book, yeah, in a parking lot. That was because of the pandemic. But also in Panera, I've written in, in all sorts of places. But that, because I had childcare, the only thing I needed was childcare. And so that's, that's where I like to start. As far as writing advice goes, I, I like to tell people my, the thing that really kicked me into gear, which is no one cares if you're a writer. Literally, no one cares. Your spouse doesn't care. Your siblings don't care. Your parents don't care. Your friends don't care. Nobody cares. Even if they act like they care, they really don't. Um, it de- no one cares. Y- you have yeah. to care. No one's going to drag you into a, an office or into a car in a parking lot or into a, a Starbucks or wherever you're going to write and, and force you to write. No one's going to stand over your shoulder and say, okay, come on, this is, you need to do this. Uh, you have to be the one to want it, to, to make it happen in your life, whatever the odds may be. So that, that to me is really the only writing advice that matters once you have childcare, if you're, if you have children, is that you really have to be the one who wants it. Yes. I love that point. And I love the idea of taking the shame away from childcare. You know, we can't act like mothers can provide 24 seven care and also have a career. Like that's just an unrealistic standard for any person. So this episode is airing in May, which is um, Maternal Mental Health Month. And I feel like your writing um, really helps to spread awareness of the mental health struggles that mothers face. One of your poems that I really like is Postpartum Questionnaire. And anybody who has a baby will relate to that, like that terrible questionnaire you get. And you're like, what are these questions? (laughs) Um, You're like, it doesn't even make sense. And you help kind of with this poem show, like there are very complex emotions during the postpartum period that like maybe may not, are not captured in this questionnaire. You know, I know with my third child, which this was in the middle of a pandemic, the doctor walked in, took one look at me and one look at the baby and was like, oh, a beautiful mom, perfect baby. He goes, well, you must be doing great. And like, didn't even give me, unfortunately, I wasn't suffering from postpartum depression, but he, if I had been, he didn't even give me the space to express that. And that is kind of the how our society feels about maternal mental health, even though, you know, the research shows us like this is a real problem that up to two out of three mothers experience, particularly in the postpartum period. So why do you think maternal mental health is still so misunderstood 
And it's even like a taboo topic in our society. Like, how dare you say you're not happy when you have a perfect, healthy newborn? And what can we do to help mothers who are struggling feel less alone if they are struggling with their mental health? Well, I I think the why this is happening is really complicated and complex. I mean, for sure, there's just a very built-in misogyny in the medical world. Doctors are not well-versed in in postpartum care. The CDC recently put out a statistic that I think it was like 80% of maternal death is preventable. And most of that happens after the baby is born, which is just horrifying. It's sickening how much of that is preventable, how much of that has to do with mental health. I can't begin to solve this crisis with one sentence, but I do think a lot of it is support for women and and what it kind of looks like to raise a child in this country. It can be very singular. And I think when you make it more of a holistic experience where you're involving community and you're providing support for mothers financially, I think there's so much we can do. But I think if we just started with the basic needs for mothers, we could really improve in leaps and bounds. I know for me personally, the thing that saved me the most was other women, not my husband, not mommy wine, not all these other things we (laughs) kind of get thrown at us. Like, you know, stay up and watch Netflix with your baby. Uh, You can finally have that glass of wine and sushi roll. It's like that stuff. We kind of bury the lead. Just if we had someone else to sit with us for a few hours and say, I know how you're feeling. This is normal. Those things really carry so much weight and kind of get dismissed when that is so often what, what we need, when if our basic needs are met, and that means financial security, food security for the mom and the baby, I think the next thing after that is just support from other women, whether that looks like follow-up visits from a nurse or, or some kind of social care aspect, um, social work aspect. I don't know what that would look like. For me, it was other mothers and moms that I knew, but not everybody has that. And so I would say that is my suggestion only because that that's what saved me. Yes. And the research really supports that idea that like social support is a very important aspect in, you know, helping to improve mental health during the postpartum period and even beyond. I was complaining about my kids once and my husband said to me, why don't you like talk to your friends about this? And I was like, what do you think we talk about? I'm like, this is (laughs) all we talk about. I'm like, yeah. My kids are getting a little bit older now, but when I only had toddlers, I'm like, we get together and we just complain about our toddlers. You know, it's basically like <laughs> yeah. a support group for people who are suffering from their toddlers. Right, I'm like, right. I totally agree with you. Having other women, especially other people that are in similar stages of motherhood is so, so essential. And I think with the pandemic, like a lot of us have lost that village. So you know, we might have to make like real efforts to refine that village, whether it's like online or in person, you know, what, however we can find that village of support again, I think is so, so important. So another one of your poems that I really love is it's called For the Advice Cards at Baby Showers. And I know I filled out these advice cards before at Baby Showers myself. And you're always like, you know, even after having three kids, I'm like, what do I say? <laughs> and you're, what you wrote is, Experience will teach you two things. You are the mother and it's okay to let them go up the slide. Nothing in this world can prepare you for this love suffering, for joy and loneliness. I think that is so beautiful. And your poems just really show how universal the experience of motherhood is. But still sometimes like we get so caught up in the details, you know, 
when you're a new mother, like you worry about like the breastfeeding versus formula feeding and working mothers versus stay at home mothers. And, you know, there's a debate on social media, like social, you know, the gentle parenting versus like old school parenting for lack of a better term. So your poems like seem to rise above that fray. So what do you feel like are like some of the universal truths of parenting that you try to get out? What do you think like really matters in terms of motherhood and raising children? When I was pregnant with my first, my husband's aunt was at actually at a baby shower. We were at a different baby shower for a cousin and we were kind of talking about these advice cards and she was she kind of paused and said, really, I, I've only ever heard one piece of advice that has stuck with me. And I was like, oh, what is it? And she said, children are not a problem to be solved. And I have carried that with me, you know, 12 years and thought about that very often. And what that means across all kind of the different aspects of parenting, just with food or discipline or, or sleep or or. All these different things, of course, there are things we can do to help our children and support them, but they aren't a problem to be solved. They were born as they are. That's not necessarily my advice to all parents. Like I said, I really try not to stay out of that. I try to stay out of everyone's business. Uh, Virtue signaling and parenting is my number one pet peeve. (laughs) We get together (laughs) and talk about our personal manifestos in parenting because, you know, the second you say you've got something nailed, uh, your kids will humble you. But I do think that mantra that children are not a problem to be solved has really been kind of a northern star for me. Not that I'm doing it perfectly, but something that I try to really reflect on. I love that. That is such great advice. So another one of your poems that I love is What Children Say. And this poem details kind of all the demands that children have on mothers. And it ends with the line, and I love this, will you leave me? Will you stay? So as a mother of three young children right now, I really related to that because I feel like there's just constant demands <laughs> and it's so frustrating. But this poem, I, the way it spoke to me was it kind of was almost a reframe for those demands of there. These children are just kind of wondering, are you really there for them? You know, they're not really asking about you know, get me a fork or whatever it is. So what other perspective shifts have you found to be really helpful in motherhood? Like, you know, if, if it's just thinking about what is the bigger question, what is, are there anything else that you found has been helpful for you? Something that, that I think about a lot is, especially my, my son's about to turn, my youngest is about to turn five. And I was just thinking about what am I going to get this kid? We we've already have all the things. He's got three older siblings. We've got all the toys for all the stages. And I was thinking, what does he really want? And I've had this, I've thought about this many times over over the years on holidays or birthdays. What do my kids really want? And what they want is my undivided attention. What they want is is no screens in any parent's hands, eye contact and sitting on the floor for 10 minutes. I remember I follow this woman. I'm sure you know who she is. Her name is Ralphie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We all know Ralphie. She's really changed my life in a lot of ways. And one of the things I remember her saying is if you sit down with your kid for 10 minutes and play with them, so many of the behaviors that you were just frustrated with, so much of the whining, so much of the I'm bored just goes away and they will go run off and play probably for another hour. All they needed was 10 minutes of your undivided attention. Yes, I'm going to get my kid a birthday present, but really all he wants from me, which is the hardest thing to give a child. It's a huge sacrifice is undivided attention. 
And uh, I really come back to that, you know, in that poem as well. It's really what the child wants is the, is the parent just to lay with them for 10 yeah. minutes before bed. It's so hard to do that. I, I'm not trying to say it's so you could solve all your problems by giving your kids undivided attention. No, that's the hardest thing to give them. But one of the most powerful things, we often just kind of get caught up in like, what can I give my kid so that they're happy, so that they're distracted, so that they leave me alone? I, I'm just as guilty of this. Here's your iPad. But I, I always come back to what they really want. And, and that's just us. That is so, so true. And I, I agree. It is hard. Like we're all so busy. That is hard. There's a lot of research that really backs up this idea of like, 10 minutes, undivided attention. It improves behavior. It improves the parent-child relationship. So that's really a huge one. Speaking of this idea of like what makes a good mother, your poem Burnout touches on this kind of information overload that a lot of us have experienced. And it talks about the pressure to be a good mother when being just a mother is hard enough <laughs> in itself. So how do you deal with this information overload and the mom guilt and the idea of like this good mother that we all have? How can we deal with that? How do we have this idea with uh, while still keeping our sanity? Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm not sure what everyone's personal answer would be for myself. I've kind of treated those parenting conversations a lot like diet culture conversations when it feels detrimental to me or or like it's kind of hurting my mental health to overhear or be part of a conversation about motherhood where we're kind of just tearing down other women I just walk away I, I've really tried to cut out parts of my virtual world we all we all kind of have these two worlds right we have our virtual world that we curate we choose what our algorithm feeds us and, and we also choose a lot of our circumstances that we surround ourselves in real life now obviously in both places surprises happen but we can kind of choose who we're surrounded by and what we're talking about and so i've really just like i have with diet culture just really taken steps away from any conversations that are tearing down other women or kind of putting this pressure onto ourselves to be a certain kind of mother. Of course, I found lots of tools to be helpful. I think a lot of times people read this poem and think I don't want to talk about being a mom anymore. That's not true, but it does take a very specific circumstances for me to want to do that anymore because I'm kind of sick of it. It's like, I don't really want to talk about the best way to be a mom anymore because there is no best way. It's so, there's just so many factors into that conversation. There's a class conversation here that often gets uh, lost. There's a race conversation. There's a religious conversation. There's all sorts of things that are kind of going into how we parent and what that looks like. And a lot of nuance is left out, especially on the internet. And so I think that's where that that poem came from is I'm, I'm so sick of the noise and these black and white answers when it comes to ourselves and our children. And I, I, I got a little bit burnout. I totally get that. You know, I see I'm on social media a lot as well. And I see these debates over parenting, you know, it's like gentle parenting versus old school parenting. And there's all these mommy wars on social media about what does it mean to be a good mother? And, you know, the research really finds that like a lot of this doesn't even matter. You know, there's there's a few things you could do as a parent that do matter. But a lot of the things that we worry about or our society uses to define good mother, like actually don't really matter for your children's outcomes. 
So I think that that's very good advice to really think about how does what you're experiencing on social media impact you and how you view yourself as a parent. So a lot of your books were written and published during the COVID pandemic, which I just think is amazing as a mother of four (laughs) living through a pandemic, because we all know how difficult that time was. So how did what you faced during that time affect your perspective as a mother and your writing? Did you I, you know, I think a lot of us, when we go through something hard, like a pandemic, like we want to take away, like these were the lessons I learned that like helped me. Were there any lessons that you felt like you learned that you're carrying forward? I don't think so. I think I learned nothing. When I think about <laughs> the pandemic, I can't even remember it. I can't even remember it. I don't remember what I did. I remember we got those um, water beads and they yes, we did them outside and then they were yeah. like outside for so long and I was like how is this okay are these like just being absorbed back into the earth I'm still very unclear <laughs> on water beads I, agree. I don't know very confusing. I, don't, I, I learned nothing uh from the pandemic <laughs> I learned a lot of things about our culture I think I can't wait to watch the documentary in 50 years that they make about the pandemic and the ways we behaved And I'm talking on both sides of any aisle. The way we behaved is a very interesting study, character study or or study on humans. We really acted insane (laughs) a lot of the time. I'm really making not even about one kind of person. It was wild. I I don't think I learned anything. I I just really, I have no, I have no notes. I have no takeaway. I also think it's really soon to start drawing conclusions. That's true. We we kind of experienced this thing. Then we kind of had to quickly move on. Have we even processed that? I I don't think so. I see people process the pandemic and I'm kind of like, I think we need more time. I think we need more time to like one, see, see ourselves as, as to who we really were during that time. And also to see the ripple effects of the choices that we made. We really don't know so much. We did the best we could in a lot of circumstances. I don't know. I guess if, if I had to choose something, you know, that Daniel Tiger saying, one of my favorite kind of concepts is we can feel two feelings at the same time and that's okay. That to me really sums up the pandemic. I had a best-selling book come out on November 6th, 2020. You know, oh there's a lot going on then. So that was really wonderful. And yet there was also this like turmoil in our country. When I look back at the pictures of our pandemic walks, we took a walk in the neighborhood every day, no matter what the weather. What a special family memory that we did that. Also, I was homeschooling and like crying every day. And I remember quitting virtual learning like two weeks before the school year ended. I just wrote to the teacher and said, I can't do this anymore. Yes, <laughs> my friends were like, well, you can't do that. And I said, yes, I just did. I, I withdrew my kids from school. I cannot take this a single other minute. My kids put their heads down on the desk. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, you know what? Neither. Let's be done. So uh, yeah, best of times and the worst of times. I completely agree. I think the only lessons I took away is that I could never homeschool my kids. I'm just <laughs> yeah. not capable. Not, yeah. not, there's so many wonderful people that are capable of it. And I'm not one of those people. Yeah. And, you know, that we all survived. And that's something yeah. to be proud of in itself. You know, it, sure. was, it was the best of times and worst of times, just like yeah. you say. <laughs> so speaking of other recent events, your poem, What to Write After Another School Shooting, I just reread that and it really struck me after um, in the U.S. recent events, there are just increasing gun violence. And I think it brings up in all people who are parents right now, this just anxiety about our children and the unpredictability of life. And 
how do we live with that fear and raise our children in this world that seems like getting increasingly unpredictable and dangerous? I have no idea. I would love some for someone to tell me. I have no yeah. idea. I can't imagine not having anxiety over school violence until something changes with gun laws. I don't really think we should temper down our anxiety or fear when it is a real threat. I think we should use that fear to propel us to action, whether that's marches or calling senators or changing the way we vote or changing our behavior towards voting, even doing it at all. I really don't think the answer to that worry and that fear is to ignore it, but to kind of lean into it and say, well, how can I how can I change this? Because it's the the constant anxiety of it is not sustainable. No, but the underlying feeling of, of fear when you drop your kids off to school, I hope that we as mothers can lean into that and and use that to take action. I really hope so as well. You know, I think that's a good point that sometimes anxiety is there for a reason to compel us to action. I think that's so important. Something else, you know, to end on a slightly lighter note, I love how you in a lot of your poems, I mean, some of your poems, I'm laughing out loud, which isn't often a response to poetry. So how do you continue to find humor in motherhood when it can be so tedious and dull and hard? How do you keep finding that humor every day? I think if you don't laugh, if you can't laugh at motherhood and parenting, it's kind of a bummer. I think without without that laughter and and because kids are so funny, parenting is so funny. It's so funny to be the adult in a situation and uh, try to be like serious during potty jokes and try to like act like this big adult. We're all just kids inside. Like it's just why not laugh? I, I don't know. Let's just. Uh, stop taking ourselves so seriously. I'm pretty much a silly goose. I think there's a there's a big misconception about poets that they have to be so serious yeah. and a certain kind of way. And, you know, I, I just really like to goof off and I could not be with my kids without that inclination because, gosh, it's such a drag and it is so boring. And if we can't laugh with them and, and privately at them, then uh, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we have to have something. <laughs> I completely agree. I think humor is such a good coping strategy as a parent. Like I rely on it so much. And my husband and I, you know, after our kids go to bed, we like will joke around about what at the time was a very stressful situation. But, you know, in retrospect, it's kind of funny that like, you know, they were freaking out over something so ridiculous. You know, it's like always something so ridiculous. So I think humor is so important. So finally, before we end, I know all of your friends would love to hear, like, what's next for you? What's your next project? What's on the horizon? I'm working on a book right now. I'm also really interested in screenwriting and exploring some other genres. So, you know, I could never have predicted 10 years ago that I would write some best-selling books of poetry. So I, I could never predict what's next. But yeah, I kind of have my fingers dipped in everything and, and uh, I'm excited to see what it is as well. Well, I bet you would write a hilarious movie about motherhood. So I would <laughs> love to see that. Thank you so much, Kate Bear. If you could let my listeners know where they can find your, you know, information about your books or more information about you. Yeah. Website katebear.com and all my, all my social media is Kate J. Bear. So pretty easy to find. And it's Bear, B-A-E-R, just for the listeners. So they're, they're aware. 
Thank you so much for being here. This was so interesting and I'm just such a huge fan. So I was so excited to talk to you this morning. So thank you. I cannot say that enough. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.